Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Today we meet Ben Deguara, our first double boomeranger. Ben first went to London via a ski season in Whistler in 2008. Despite starting his London career in financial services on a rather inauspicious day, the day Lehman Brothers collapsed, he went on to enjoy a four-year stint before returning to Sydney. Two years later, just as he was getting into the Australian groove again, he was asked by HSBC to go to Hong Kong with an offer too good to refuse. Six years later, he has boomeranged back to Sydney. But what I want to know is, for how long this time? Welcome, Ben. Where are we having this chat with you today? Hi, Margot. Uh, I am currently working from home today uh, in uh, my place in Balmain. In Sydney? Yes. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah. So before we get into your overseas um, stints, I'm um, I'm really interested or hoping you can share a little bit of your background. Um, I know you grew up in Sydney, but what was life like before you went? And I guess were there any early influences or indicators that you were about to embark upon an overseas adventure? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, as you pointed out, uh, from Sydney, uh, born and bred, mm-hmm. the son of two immigrants. Uh, my father was born in Malta back in the 40s and he m- moved to to Australia with his family uh, in, in the early 50s after World War II, mm-hmm. they kind of ravaged Malta. Mm-hmm. So his family came out looking for new opportunities and and so my father spent from the age of eight onwards in Sydney and my mother moved, she's from New Zealand, and she moved to Sydney when she was 19 um she she came here to study uh study nursing right. and then she she met my father in the 70s and that was that was that so um so from sydney um i think growing up probably not a lot of uh not a lot of global travel uh you know obviously we went back to new zealand every second year for christmas to to spend time mm-hmm. with the family um uh, there was one trip to the us when i was 15 16 you know, great experiences, but probably really too young to be able to appreciate them. And so otherwise, it was a pretty stable life in Sydney. Uh, okay. And, you know, obviously a primary school, high school, into university, and then straight into my first full-time job, uh, working as an accountant and also studying my chartered accounting uh, mm-hmm. qualification as well on top. So that was that was pretty full on for that first mm-hmm. four years. Kind of, you don't really have much of a life. Um, no, no. It was tough. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, look, very, very much, you know, obviously enjoying Sydney, one of the boys playing rugby, drinking yep. beer, all the, all the things that <laughs> The fun things that you need yes. to yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there was nothing overly formative I, I, or influential, I guess, in, in, in that time growing up about, around travel. I mean, I do distinctly remember not having any particular interest at one point to travel. 
And I remember Oh, okay. I remember my first might have been my second year of university, sitting in the university bar, I think, and I was chatting to a couple of mates and I don't know how the topic came up, but someone one of them asked me, Are oh, any interest to travel overseas or, you know, do a big backpacking trip? And I remember saying, No, why would I want to do that? Australia's the best country in the world and you know. Okay. Uh, and I, I think that was my mate's reaction as well. Okay, uh, you know, yeah. kind of, because I think he'd already done some. Um, yeah, because you you would have an EU passport. Uh, yeah, I do. Yes, yeah. So yeah. because my father's was born in Malta, I am eligible, and I do have a Maltese passport, just part mm. of the EU. Mm. Um, just I say just because I have travelled around with it in Europe, and yep. it, yeah, the, the, that passport does get you funny looks. I think some of the authorities look at it you think it's because okay. <laughs> okay. is so small anyway, but um but i guess that would have been it would have made it easy for you to consider london as an option to work then um when when it did unfold yeah yeah de- de- definitely and and i think i didn't really consider getting the passport until i think my father had retired uh from work in 2000 end of 2003 and then him and mum uh, finally because dad had worked all his life from about the age of 14 onwards and mm. dad never spent huge amounts of time travelling. And so when they finally got to go overseas to Europe, dad got to go back to Malta for the first time. Uh, he obviously uh, got um, helped us get, my brothers and I helped us get uh, Maltese passports. We just did it all together mm-hmm. in one hit. Um, yep. And I have never let it go since. Yeah, yeah. So what was the ultimate I guess impetus or push to go overseas, and given that early on you sort of thought, no, maybe not. Yeah, I have to be honest. I don't. I don't quite know if there was any particular experience or situation that took took place that made me think I want to travel. I just remember. I mean, from that. I mean, at one point, the best uh, or the most I imagined that I might do was when I finished uni. I thought I would work for six months in a bar. And then hire a com- uh, buy a combi van, and mm-hmm. I was learning guitar at the time. So I thought I'd take the guitar, I'll drive around the country around <laughs> Australia, and I'll just work in yep. bars for six months, and I'll play guitar and busk. I don't know. That was the yeah, yeah. The, the most I yeah. thought I'd do. And then I think it was in my second year or third year of uh, working and doing my my CA was getting quite heavy, the chartered accounting qualification, and I just remember having this feeling there's got to be more to life than this. You know, mm. I felt yeah, yeah, like it was yeah. quite a lot. Um, and I remember being, so at some point, it, obviously this desire to travel and explore grew. Um, and I remember being at a, at a party, a house party one night and talking to a friend. I was in the middle of the stu- my studies. I was driving and, you know, just sort of standing there. And I was talking to a friend and I said, oh, I really want to travel. And this mate who's from Foster, who hadn't done much himself, was like, so do I. And from that night onwards, we kind of made a bit of a pact to, that we were going to plan yep. this big trip. And yep. and that was, I think that was early 2005, uh, but we mm-hmm. didn't get away until September 2007. Um, mm. so and that's when you headed to Whistler? That's it, yeah. So I, I was determined to finish my chartered accounting uh, qualification. Mm-hmm. I would not leave until it was done. And so basically the the earliest, I mean, I'd already planned to the day, what was the mm-hmm. earliest day I could fly out if I got my a pass result on the final day. Oh, uh, fabulous. Oh, and, yeah, I mean, I, I literally, my, I, my friend and I had already 
we'd already had discussions with, given the time of year we were going to leave, the earliest we could leave was about September. We thought, well, look, we've just missed a European summer. Where could we go? And my friends mm. said, well, why don't we do a ski season in, in North America? Uh, and I thought, well, yeah, why not? Sounds great. So neither of us had really ever skied. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was going to stop us. <laughs> Didn't stop you. <laughs> Did not, no. And, uh, and so even by the time that we were about to leave, the, the respective uh, or the re- representatives from, from the ski resorts had already come to Sydney and done all their marketing and promos to try and attract you. And, and so we, we had already had jobs lined up at, in Whistler mm-hmm. in anticipation that we were going to go. And, and we had identified, like we did picked out the flight we were going to book, assuming I got my results. And I remember being, I, used, I was working in North Sydney and I, I was in the, I couldn't check my results at work. I was too nervous. It was a Friday mm-hmm. afternoon and I was sitting in the Greenwood Plaza in North Sydney at an internet right. uh, yeah, yeah. Cubic, you know, yeah. kiosk or whatever. Cafe, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and checked it, got the pass result. I called my mate, let's do it, booked the flight. And it was Excellent. a one-way flight, Qantas flight out. So so you legged it to Whistler. <laughs> yeah, well, we, so we, we left the 12th of September 2007 and we backpacked around Canada for about two and a half months first. And mm-hmm. then we got to Whistler mm-hmm. in uh, November and we did five months mm-hmm. working in ski shops there. Uh, and going Canada is a beautiful country, fantastic. Yeah, and then you headed on to London or? Yeah, pretty much. So we, we had a view that once we were done with Canada and Whistler, we would then move on to do some backpacking around uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we did two months together. I think we're probably sick of each other by the end of it because <laughs> we'd spent like nine <laughs> months together, right? And it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also my mate had met a lady friend in our first two weeks in Canada. As it happens, yeah. As it yep. happens. And mm-hmm. he went back to Canada to just do another ski season with her and um, they ended up getting married and now they live in Sydney. So There you go. Um, They've done their full circle as well. Yeah. <laughs> so you so I, you were right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you go. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, no, so, so then I did an extra month on my own around, mm-hmm. I think, you know, we did like a month in Italy. We sort of went around Spain, France, the Netherlands. We did Gallipoli, you know, uh, for Anzac Day, all those things. Yeah, and, you know, all the, fu- all the fun things like, you know, the running of the bulls and, you know. Um, and, then, and then I got to London completely broke <laughs> yeah. um, in July of 2008. So. Yeah, excellent. And that's when the, uh, you know, you sort of landed broke and were ready to go, right, we've got to work. Pretty much, yeah. And, and I had no idea, being on the backpacking trail, I had no idea what was going on in, in the financial world. Yep. Because there was there was obviously lots going on in the media about yeah, the financial markets are struggling and, and, and there are plenty of things going on, but I had no idea. I'd just come off the backpacking trail. It's quite blissful really, isn't it? <laughs> it was. It was. Um, and so I connected with a high school friend of mine who was living in London at the time and we'd agreed to live together. And and so for the first couple of months it was I wasn't working. Um, mm-hmm. It was summertime. In, in, in London as well, so the markets would be quiet. Uh, and then eventually got, got working. But I, my intention was to go to London. I didn't really have a, a sort of thought-out plan about what I wanted to do. Uh, I just knew I didn't want to do what I'd already done, which was, you know, tax and audit and financial accounting. Um, but outside of that, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, so I just turned up and hoped for the best. <laughs> and, and obviously it worked for you. You had four years there. 
Yeah, well, it was three years in London. Yeah, three years in London. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that was really your start to your career. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously enjoyed it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. What What sort of opportunities opened up for you? Um, I think. Or what do you feel it gave you? Yeah. Look, I, I, I mean, it gave me. I mean, so many things. I think when I by the time I'd left Australia, I kind of felt quite tired, broken from the studies mm. and everything and the pressure that I was putting on mostly on myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so by the time I got to London, I felt really refreshed, ready to go, and I just felt another sort of dimension of my personality coming out or coming back out, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I was working for a very small firm in, in, in Sydney before I left and I was working for this big media company, dynamic media company, going out having social drinks and all this. And it was mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, mm. And, I, you know, I... I'm a huge believer to this day of, you know, if you want to meet people in your new uh, environments, you know, you need to make an effort definitely. But I went, I used sport as as my way. Um, Mm -hmm. So I joined a rugby team, local rugby team, and those guys became my family effectively for three years. And that was fantastic. I I became social secretary for the club. And um, when we did our end of season tours around Europe, I was a fun guy. Uh, for yep. one, or two, one or two of the mm-hmm. tours, that was great. Um, yeah, yep. So, I mean, that just introduced me to so many great people from different parts of the world. Work was fantastic, uh, meeting all these different people. And, I mean, London's just a – I mean, I, I love London. Uh, it just it, – it still has a huge impact on me mentally, my time there. And I just felt I grew a lot of, you know, in confidence there. And uh, whenever I've been back since, I feel very comfortable there getting around. Um, I feel very confident, like it's kind of a second home in a way. Oh, it's a place that gets under your skin. You it know, is. It's, yeah. it's definitely that. Yeah. So, but you you made the very conscious decision to return in 2011, I think it was. Um, yeah. What was the planning or the considerations that went into coming back? Yeah, I, I do remember this very, very clearly. So I'd been back. Since I'd been away for that four-year period, I think I'd, I'd come back a total of three or four times for a visit. And, you know, I have to say I, I used to come back with a little bit of anxiety because I kind mm-hmm. of felt like I, I felt like I'd grown a lot as a person since I'd been away mm-hmm. in, conf- in many ways, confidence, whatever. And I felt that when I used to come back to visit Sydney, I, I would retract a little bit back into that old self. And yep. I think it's very easy to do when you're surrounded by the same sights the same mm-hmm. people talk to you and look at you the same way or very similar. And it's it's an uneasy feeling. And, and I had this feeling of, okay, I need to get out of here, you know. Mm. And I used to go back to London and feel like mm-hmm. I'm home again. I feel great. I'm home yep. again. Sense of freedom maybe. Yeah. Mm. Yep, yep, definitely. Being able to define or redefine myself in a new new place. Um, and, and so there was, I think the last time I came back from Sydney to London, I felt less like this is home. Um, not that I was tiring of London, but I, but I had this underlying feeling that look, I, I'd like, I, I do want to go back to Australia and, and and try and not feel like that. You know, I should mm-hmm. be able to feel comfortable, confident, going back, happy, relaxed, uh, and and so I knew that I was not going to be able to do that twenty four hours away. I felt the only way I was going to overcome any sense of anxiety was by facing it head on. Yeah, by planting yourself here. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a big believer in facing your fears and sort of, mm. you know, just it's the only, I feel it was the only way. 
Um, mm. so, and I, I remember going away for a weekend and just like I had a notepad and pen. I've probably still got around pros and cons, staying, going. Mm-hmm. And I just joined a new job. So in the end, I was only at this job for six months, but I just felt it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so what I, once I made the decision, I moved, you know, hard and fast. And I, I guess I also felt that, you know, I wanted to reconnect with family and friends back here. And, um, and so I, I went for it and I was back in Sydney by uh, November 2011. Right. And so how did you find find that experience of coming back and, okay, I'm coming back to face my fears or to yeah. plant myself yeah, yeah. here and to get things going again? What was the experience um, professionally and personally? Yeah, uh, it was very hard, I'll be honest. Um, uh, even before I came back, I already knew I, I don't know why, but I already had a sense that uh, maybe from previous visits, I knew that I was not. It's not like the red carpet gets rolled out. You're home, and everyone's mm-hmm. high fiving you, and people are glad to have you back. Sure, but after a very short time, they go back to their lives, and you've got to like create a new life. Everyone's in a different place. You're in a different place, and I and I also knew that friends and family aren't going to ask you about your time overseas. They aren't going to ask you about what's the what are the greatest places? Tell, tell us a crazy story. Nothing, nothing. Mm. Um, no. So no. All mentally I was already prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably what I was less prepared for was from a professional perspective how little, you know, overseas experience here in Australia was valued. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I never thought it was held in this massive regard, but I also didn't think it was going to be I won't say dismissed, but it was also like it was people were indifferent about it. Um, yeah. That surprised me. And I was not ready for that. Yeah. So how did you navigate that? Um, yeah, look, it, it was it was hard. I mean, I mean, it didn't help the time of year that I'd, came, I'd come back. It was November, so the job market didn't mm-hmm. quite until Feb. It was slow going uh, coming out of Feb. Uh, it was a slow market at the time. And I mean, I was talking to, I remember talking to recruitment agents, various agents. I had a sort of spreadsheet of all the agents I was talking to. Like every good accountant with their spreadsheet. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> and I, I was, I was, I remember just calling them, like even marking down like when I'd last called them, just on rotation. And most of them were, I mean, probably not surprisingly from the UK. And I was asking them, what is your, like, what is the story with the market here, hiring managers and this mindset? And a lot of them used to say, look, it's probably like 10, 15 years behind the UK and in terms of mindset, you know, about, you know, over in the UK I felt certainly, you know, the experience you have on your CVs viewed a lot more broadly and, and they think about the mix of experience you have and, and how it relates to the role. Whereas in Sydney I was told it's very brand-centric, uh, you know, big names on your CV and, I didn't necessarily have big global names on my CV at the time, and that hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that hurt my chances. So it, it, it was hard. Um, yeah. What sorts of roles were you looking for, just to understand where you were when you were coming back? Sure. I mean, okay. What what also didn't help me was that my I wasn't in a neat. I didn't fit into a neat sort of uh, box either. Um, I I was looking at. I guess you know. The work I'd done in the UK, I'd gone from using my accounting skills to doing kind of risk-type roles, so process improvement, process mapping, uh, controls, risk, that sort of stuff. Um, 
And I, I remember distinctly looking at there was a, there was a job spec that came to me from an agent that was with a big construction company. I won't say which one, mm-hmm. but I, when I looked mm-hmm. at every requirement of the job, I was like, tick, tick, tick. I've done all of this. I've done mm-hmm. all of it. I could do this easy. Uh, and then the agent eventually had to come back and say, oh, "I'm really sorry. I mean, I, I think you're an absolute suit you perfectly, but the hiring manager wants someone who's from a big four accounting firm, and that's actually quite common in the accounting world. And it was so frustrating because, you know, they're great, sure, but they, they don't have all. It doesn't mean it's an automatic box tick that you can do the job. Yeah, and mm. I've actually done yeah, this yeah. work, but anyway." That was that was symptomatic of the challenges. So how long did it take you to sort of land on your feet professionally? So I finally got work. So it was six months. Uh, mm-hmm. November was when I got back. I finally got a, a three-month contract role uh, at a small financial services firm in May 2012. And it was only a three-month contract. And I said to the agent at the time, or an agent at the time, keep me in mind because three months will go quick. And I think within three weeks of starting that role, uh, I, I got a call about, hey, look, there's a there's a twelve month sort of cover, uh, long service leave cover, or for, at HSBC, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought, wow, like talk about getting a big brand on, on my CV, yeah, that's about as big as you can get, right? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So you jumped there, yeah, I, I did, yeah, I, I jumped there, and and I felt bad about leaving the three month contract, but you know, out of loyalty and wanting to see it through, but I just thought you've got to take these opportunities when they come. Mm, uh, mm. So that was a baptism of fire, HSBC, being new to mm-hmm. banking and and, and it, funnily enough, what HSBC was going through back then is kind of what the Aussie banks have been going through in the last couple of years. So, you know, improving their risk management, non-financial risk management. And so I was a part of that when HSBC was rolling that out. That was very interesting. And I was working in the Australian arm of HSBC, but having regular engagements with the regional team in Hong Kong. Uh, so that was my first. If before that, I'd never really had any travel. I'd, had, I'd barely been to Asia. I'd had little experience dealing with it. Uh, so it was quite eye-opening. Yeah, fantastic. So you then get tapped on the shoulder to go to Hong Kong. Yes, exactly. So... Towards the end of 2013, I think it was late November, I got a phone call from the only, the last man standing in that regional team saying, I'm moving on to a, a, another role internally. Mm-hmm. Would you, I think out of all the regional uh, guys, so there were the regional teams in Singapore and um, uh, Japan and, and, and I was, this person said to me, I think you'd, you'd actually be really good to, you know, to, to run this regional role for a few months Mm. there's no one left and i've already spoken to the head and regional head and and, um he's going to call your boss and so yeah it was i I kind of i didn't know how to take it because already i mean i remember 2012 so dealing working at this massive bank with with huge operations in in asia and and the 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 white paper that was at the australia during the asian century had come out in 2012 from the gillard government Mm -hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was all this talk about how Asia is going to be this next, the middle class in Asia is going to explode, this is huge growth opportunities. And already Asia was forming in my mind and I kept thinking, in the back of my mind, I'd love to go work in Hong Kong one day, but it was just in the back of my mind. So when I got that phone call, it was a bit hard because after almost two years of being back, 
I was finally starting to feel settled. I was going to say, was it, was it a simple yes or was there a bit of a hmm? Yeah. There was a definitely a hmm, uh, and I had to bounce it off a couple of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the end, it, it didn't take long. I mean, my boss at the time said, look, you know, you're very lucky to get this opportunity. 18 months in, uh, it's rare for people to ever get a short-term assignment. So I just, I just went for it. So you relocate to Hong Kong, and was it everything that you'd hoped for from an Asian experience? Uh, in totality, yes, I will say. Um, it was tough. I would definitely say that. Um, what was tough? It was, it was tough from a few different angles. So firstly, I think, you know, that. so I worked for two banks in Hong Kong. I worked for HSBC for about 15 months, and then I moved to Standard Chartered. Uh, I worked in the Hong Kong uh, branch of Standard Chartered, which is one of the biggest in Hong Kong, and um, it, it was tough. I mean, different environment. Certainly, I was dealing mostly with, with locals, um, so I was very much the, in the minority, even more so at Standard Chartered. So that was a bit of a baptism of fire in terms of cultural differences and understanding the way that they work and the way they operate and working in risk management as well. You know, mm. it, it, my role was to, uh, you know, if things go wrong, I need to talk to people and sometimes I need to challenge them about whether they're taking the right steps to manage the risk. And, you know, the the Asian culture often does not, it doesn't facilitate that. There's the saving face mm. Element, so you're not calling people out too much. There's a little bit of the, you know, this is the way it's always done, and which which is not specific to Asian cultures, but it was a mix of everything. And and I, I guess being a, a Westerner, particularly Standard Chartered in Hong Kong, I was a minority, and they were just tough, tough businesses and tough, uh, to, to, yeah, very tough professionally. Rewarding, but really tough. Yeah, lots of learnings. Yeah, yeah, lots of learnings. Yeah, yeah, and so. What was life like in in Hong Kong? I mean, you've obviously in this big job. What what was what was your outlet? What was your what did you do for fun up there? Um, so, I mean, look, it's it's a great expat life in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. It's a great yeah. expat community, you know. And most expats tend to live in a kind of small area of, of um, on Hong Kong Island you know, around mid levels and, and whatnot. But you know, they, they, they certainly plenty live further out. Um, so I lived there, and I thought I may as well live where it's where it's all happening. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, through one or two friends, I met a whole bunch of. It was kind of like a ready-made friendships or friendship yeah, group. Great. Friends who were already yep. there, and it was great. And through them, I met new friends, and, and I joined a rugby club, of course, mm-hmm. up there. Yep. Um, although I, they, they were quite. Yeah, they were quite big drinkers, so I stayed away from them. I thought, I don't, I've done enough of that. I don't want to do that yeah, anymore. You're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, um, so that, that was, it. I mean, playing rugby, catching up with friends. Obviously, Hong Kong's great for travelling and getting getting away. Yeah. Um, and then in my last 18 months uh, there, um, I, you know, I'm a big lover of playing music and, and uh, I found myself connecting with, with people who play music and, uh, and then before too long, I found myself in, in three bands. So yeah. three bands, not one, but three. Just to make it interesting. So what sort of music? Um, so we so the all cover all cover bands. Um, yeah, great. So covers of sort of like modern rock songs like Stereophonics and Foo Fighters and, and uh, Rage Against the Machine, and, and that was that was great fun. Fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. And then tr- so through them, I met. Uh, a uh, female singer, the great voice, and, and sh- so she 
sort of sang and my another mate and I were on acoustics and we did sort of ballads, you know, to suit her voice. Songs like, um, you know, like uh, Sixpence and on the Richer and, you know, Fleetwood Mac and so that was fantastic. Uh, we we'll have to then, look at our theme song, our theme music for the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. There you go. There you are. Yeah, yeah. By all means. Might have some recordings lying around. Um, and then the, the last band, which I have to say was my favourite, uh, was partly because I founded it, but um, it, it, but it played it, – so we, we, were, we did grunge, grunge covers band. Yeah. Correct. And that's the right. music I love. That's the music I grew up learning guitar to. Uh, it's – and and I'd, I'd met a few friends in a few different friendship circles, and I kind of mm. thought these personalities will all work well together. Pull them together over a beer. I said, "Guys, let's make this happen," and it was fantastic. It was yeah, right. And we played some amazing gigs. It only lasted about eight months because the singer was moving back to the UK. But it was oh, I as mean, they do, <laughs> huge life goal achieved. Yeah, great. great. So you had a creative outlet as well, which yes. is great. Yeah. So you, you spent six years in Hong Kong, returning last year. Um, yeah. What, what prompted the move back? Uh, I, f- I felt, I mean, so, I mean, look, it was a great, great lifestyle there. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it was tough professionally. It, it was also tough personally because my father had started getting sick when I'm just after I moved to Hong Kong and he gradually declined and unfortunately passed away at the end of 2018. Um so that was a lot, I guess, to, to weighing on me as well mentally. And from uh, afar, that's hard. Mm. Sure, sure. Mm. So mm. I, I, I did feel that it was, uh, it was probably time to end that phase of my life and start the next one. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I was, I was done with my job. Like mentally, I was done yeah. with it. And I thought, well. Do I really want to go and start another job up here? I have to commit to another two or three years. Probably end up doing very similar to what I was already doing up there. Is that the right thing? And at the same time, it was also the. It was nice to know that Australian banks were going through their uh, their tough time, and, and the areas where they were uh, looking to resource up substantially was exactly what I've been doing for the past seven or eight years. So the kind of the ducks just, you know, aligned. Yeah. So what did you do differently approaching a return the second mm. time versus yeah. the first? Were there any key actions that you took or? Yeah, I mean, I think firstly, having gone through the first experience, clearly gave me plenty of, uh, you know, ideas about how to approach it differently, right? So. I didn't have to think about, okay, is, is it going to be hard? Is it not going to be hard? I mean, it was still going to be hard, right, even though the job market was far more in my favour mm-hmm. this time around, meaning that there were – I was a, my role was a lot clearer now in the market, what I do, and mm-hmm. there was some demand for what I do. That obviously made it, made it a lot easier. But I was – months before, and that was a great thing about being in Hong Kong, was only eight, nine hours away – Probably three or four trips before, uh, and even before then, I was talking to recruitment agents. I was planning, yeah. I was kind of planting the seed. And so you were able to eyeball them here in Australia a couple of times before. Yep. Is that what you're saying? You came back exactly. to Australia. So you eyeballed them a couple of times and then. Yep. So when I was back for visits, I was already kind of maybe, I mean, I made a bunch of visits and I was bringing, starting to bring stuff back. I, I brought back 
couple of okay. guitars or whatever, yeah. and I would meet up with recruitment agents. So, right, I'm thinking about coming back just times of year. Yeah. Keep me in mind um, when you're talking to whoever. And and so, so that, that was a great help. I was kind of just planting the seeds. And, and again, I think having gone through that experience before just meant mm-hmm. that come back with lower expectations around how people are going to perceive your time overseas and, you know. Yeah. Mm. So there was a mental preparedness which obviously played to your yep. favour. Yep. But you, you um, commenced with ComBank like three mo- two months, three months after you, you were back. So that was a, a fantastic outcome really yeah. for you in terms of uh, timing. Yes. And do you attribute that to the work that you did prior to, or the relationships that you built prior or did that come through a network or through a recruitment or...? Yeah, so it did come through a recruitment firm. So I was connected with them, this, this firm in Sydney, by my boss in Hong Kong, who is uh, a Malaysian background. He grew up in, I think he studied in Adelaide, lived in Sydney. Then he's been in Hong Kong for the past 14 years. And, and so he knew I was going back. He's, and I knew a number of recruitment agents in Sydney, but he was like, well, here's another one. They're, they're actually really good. Give them a go. So I called them up and they were great. Um, they connected me with my, my current boss uh, for a role in his team, mm-hmm. but that wasn't quite what I was looking for. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I think that that boss, my boss, kept me in mind because he was very under-resourced at the time and thought, mm-hmm. well, do you want to come in? If you're immediately available, do you want to just come in and just be an extra set of hands to help me get some deliverables over the line? Uh, mm-hmm. And I said, look, why not? I mean, I, I'm, I am free to work. I'm, you know, ex- Looking, looking forward to starting, ready to go, and I think that helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so within six weeks of landing, I was I was working. Yeah, amazing. So what is it that you do? What's your role now? So so I I, I work in uh, non financial risk management in uh, in uh, the institutional banking and markets business at, at, at Combank. Um, so I'm I'm still I'm still on a fixed term contract there. I'm an extra set of hands. I sort of. Yeah, I'm being yeah, yeah. deployed and redeployed to work on areas that need addressing or need, need attention or focus. So I'm still there. Yesterday was my one year anniversary. Um, so fantastic I got my certificate. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, great. It's gone quick. Yeah, it's gone really quick. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So uh, were there was there anything I guess that um, I guess took you by surprise this second time round? Even just from a lifestyle perspective, you know, you, the wheels touch down. You know, on the plane in Sydney, you get off and you go, oh wow, I really am back. Like. Um, not really. I, I'll say that because I had been back quite a lot yeah. when I was in Hong Kong. I, I'd, I'd visited every three months or so. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. It was a lot because my father regular. was sick. I was coming back yeah. and visit and had weddings and other things. And, and so nothing really took me by surprise. Um, I, I definitely had a much better and much easier time resettling back this time. Mm. Yeah. I mean, just the circumstances are all different. Um, obviously older, wiser, different stage of life um, and more experience. And, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been great. It hasn't been too difficult to resettle back. Um, obviously, it's been a weird year for everyone this year, so that's not I was helped. about to say, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but what, that, what a year. <laughs> but, mm. Yes, what a year. But, but, you know, we I think maybe we talked about this before. Maybe I'd. I think I dialed into one of the virtual wine events you had earlier this year and mm-hmm. I think I made the point that I, I feel that I and other expats are probably relatively well equipped to deal with these sorts of circumstances, you know, and mm-hmm. living overseas, if 
find yourself in unusual situations and tough binds and, and you have to dig deep and problem solve and mm-hmm. uh, deal with uncertainty. And I think I think mm. we're really good at that. And and so mm. I've had no problem whatsoever adjusting uh, to this. But everyone's different. So Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How do you keep your sense of global curiosity alive now, today? Uh, I I still try and, and, and read more widely than uh, Sydney newspapers. Um, yep. I, I don't watch the major uh, news channels either. Uh, yeah. They're a little bit, they're a bit local. Uh, mm. So, and, and look, you know, I, I certainly stay in touch with, with friends overseas. Um, and, you know, I, I, I you know, have been subscribing to The Economist for two, three years. Uh, when I get yeah. a chance to try and read that, it's, it's a great, great read. Um, yep. But it's it certainly, it's interesting. I was thinking about it during the week. I, I certainly don't feel as global or my mindset is as global as it was when I was in Hong Kong. Yeah. I, I feel like it's, I don't know, we're in Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like because we're, you know, you look at the world and we're kind of tucked away in the corner. I feel, yeah, I feel a bit more disconnected from it, which is a, sometimes an uneasy feeling. Mm. So do you think there'll ever be a third third trip or a third boomeranging experience? I, I think I think it's fair to say there probably will be. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think those who've travelled, you know, it gets under the skin, right, and it's, yeah, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't go far. And, I, you know, I, I'm, I like a challenge. And I like uh, I, I like the idea of knowing that there may well be another adventure along the way. Um, I, so I my coming back, I thought I'll come back for I don't know three to five years without putting a hard number on it, but and just see how things go and be willing and open to another stint if it suits. If it, if it, if it arises. Works. Yeah. Yeah, fabulous. Fabulous. Oh, look, it's been great um, chatting to you. I mean, there's so many insights in there that I think are just incredible value for those that are embarking upon the move back home or considering it. What we like to do with all our guests is finish with five rapid fire questions. So I'd love to um, to talk to those with you um, now. And they literally are just a word or a phrase that comes to mind. So living overseas taught me what about myself? Plenty. Plenty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's not one that ranks higher than the other than the other. Uh, I think it, it taught me that I'm more able and capable than I probably realised before I travelled. Mm, amazing, amazing. I think that does that to us. The number one skill that you use today from life overseas is resilience. Resilience, yeah, incredible. Um, and I think that's really something that's come out, I think, for many expats who have returned actually in this environment. I think that was where that conversation came on the drinks that we had. Mm. Um, when I want to feel like I'm back in my in my adopted country, a dish I eat is? I, mean, I think I pronounced this correctly. Um, Zhe Long Bao. Zhe Long Bao. The soup dumplings. Uh, mm. I love them. And I ate plenty of them in Hong Kong. Is there a place in Sydney that you've found that does them? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's. I haven't actually haven't had them for a while. I might seek them out this weekend. Actually, now that it's in my mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, because like Crystal Jade and, and um, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool. The best part about being home is the space. Yeah, yeah. I guess coming from Hong Kong, I, I do love the 
having the space. But look, I, I think certainly in, in these times that we're in, I think Australia has to be one of the best, one of the best places to be, and not not just the space and all that. But I think our mentality and our mindset holds us in great stead to be able to manage it and that kind of happy-go-lucky. Should we write? You know, I think we've got the right balance, and I think yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, a word, song, or quote that best describes my time overseas is. Uh, I was digging up this quote that I I've come across a few travel quotes in my time. And mm-hmm. I found this, I was just looking for it the other day. Uh, it's by someone called Miriam Adeney. The, 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 the quote, it, it's kind of, it resonates strongly, you know, once you've come back overseas mm-hmm. after, after a period. Mm-hmm. So I'll read it out. Um, it, it says, you will never be completely at home again because your heart will always be elsewhere. That is the price you pay for the richness of loving and knowing people in more than one place. Mm. And I remember reading that and thinking, I I get it because although I'm glad to be back, mm. you kind of there's always that little bit of you that's a bit unsettled and kind of longing for the next adventure and the adventures you've been on. Mm. So I think that that is the price you pay for for the for the experience. Yeah, fabulous. It just it captures it so well. It captures yeah. it so well. So yeah. yeah, thanks for your time, Ben. Today it's been fabulous chatting. Thank you, Margot. Much appreciated. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.